This audio program may contain descriptions of violence and topics that may not be suitable for everyone. Please listen with caution. Do you know what the most frightening thing in the world is? It's fear. I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. Why, she wouldn't even harm a fly. I come a little bit. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not like when a child dies, a gargoyle gets its wings. <laughs> which, if it wasn't such a dark sentiment, I would put on a shirt. <laughs> you should put it on a shirt. It's just so dark. Yeah, well. And then you could put a little dead baby. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. And Everyone a little gargoyle. It. But the gargoyle should also be holding a knife behind his back. Like, he killed the baby to get his wings. <laughs> to get the wings, Yes. What is a gargoyle without its wings? When um, they ask, the troll. A, yeah. Oh my God, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a uh, caterpillar yeah. or a butterfly. I, it is uh, a troll. The only gargoyles I ever think about are the ones from The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh yes, mm-hmm. what a good movie. That is a good movie. I hope that's not one that they're gonna remake. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of rapey vibes going on, so I think we'd probably be safe. Yeah, I mean, I just saw the new trailer for Mulan. And the thing I'm most um, worried about for Mulan is that... It's not going to be Asian enough? No, it's definitely... It looks Asian enough, which I'm very happy about. But there weren't any songs Hmm. in it. And if they do not do I'll Make a Man Out of You, I'm not going. (laughs) Someone reviewed it and said, Disney's live-action Mulan looks more like a period drama. (laughs) <laughs> like it does though it's true oh we have 65 dollars yay oh my god! thank gosh. you paypal yay. people thank you Kristen. thank you leanne thank you sydney thank you um <laughs> sydney says she loves us both dearly <gasps> i love her too. Love you too she's a patreon supporter as well yay. um back to mulan for a yes, quick second ba- always back to mulan I, so there's these people the try guys Right. Yes, I love the try yes. guys. Okay, so Eugene was Am talking. Am I the clitoris? Yes. That's my favorite <laughs> I want one. that shirt so bad. Okay. Um, Eugene was talking about on like one of their podcasts, because they have a podcast now, about how he should be in Mulan. Yeah, well, he went drunk and he was so excited. He was in Disney World and they were getting drinks at Epcot where you go around the world. Yeah. And he was like, oh, Mulan's there because Mulan only hangs out in the Asian section. Kind of racist, but yeah, okay. of the park. Yeah. So he was excited to see her and he, there was like this big line. So he's like, I'm going to walk to the front of the line to see if this is even worth it. And mm-hmm. he gets to the front of the line with all these kids next to him and he's drunk and he, he says, she's not even that Asian. Oh, no. <laughs> and then he said something like the. Um, That's so funny. He, he was like, the kids waited to see her are more Asian than she is. <laughs> it was like a white woman oh, playing no. Milan or like. He said she was probably a fraction Asian, but he yeah, was like, I like was some... more Asian than her. Well, yeah, he's, isn't he completely Asian or no? Yes, he's Japanese and Korean. Yeah. And so Chinese. He's, so he's, yes, yeah, so he's a, a mix and of. American. <laughs> yes, He was of born course. in Texas. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry for him. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, isn't that fucked up? Yeah. That it's like Disney parks can't even hire an asian woman well also i think it's fucked because mulan there is no mulan in in the california one because there's no epcot so there's no try or whatever she's still a princess yeah 
she's not there. I think maybe she there's one for like special shows and stuff. Yeah. But there's not one who hangs out in the park to like take a picture with Mm-mm. because the only place they do that is Disney World Ugh. in the Asian section, which is so mm. it is fucked up. up. I think Mulan Two is like one of those movies that has one of the best soundtracks yeah. in Disney. Like Mike and I went to see the new Aladdin. Uh-huh. It was really good. First of all, though, the guy that plays Aladdin mm-hmm. looks like a um, Middle Eastern Dave Franco. Okay, and then the woman who plays Jasmine looks like a Middle Eastern younger Vera Farmiga. So the whole movie, I was just picturing those two. Right. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. But the, the actors who actually do play Aladdin and uh, Jasmine, so fucking hot. Just yeah, both I mean, of them. That's the problem Holy with a live crap. action where it's like, now you're just like, because as a child, you're always like, ooh, that prince is cute. Yeah. But it's like a young, innocent romance. And now you're just like, look at that fucking hot yeah, no, guy. I was more like every time Jasmine came on the screen, yeah, you're I was like, like how, uh, is, how can someone be that pretty? Yeah. Like, how is that possible? Like, what's happening? How is That's this? what I was thinking. I was like, how yeah. how is her face structure like that? You right. know? But I did realize while watching the movie that Aladdin... Not that great of a soundtrack. No. No, it it's really, really not. isn't. Um, the only good song is... Uh, I could show you the world. Yeah. yeah even that one's that repetitive. One. I like... Uh, you ain't never had a friend like yes. me. Yes. See, but that's really, jazzy and cool. Yeah, and the only charm for that is the whole... You have to watch the movie during that song because that's when he's, like, changing everything. Yeah, it's and, like, visually it's a great intriguing. Graphic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's not... That's not a movie I like listen to in my car, and no. I do listen to Disney soundtracks yeah. in my car, but that is not one of them. Because I will. They don't get me going. I will fight to the death that Hercules has the best soundtrack. It does have the best. Soundtrack. It really, and it's forgotten. Yeah. all the time. And that it's so that good. song where he's singing. Um, I can find. It's my, so good. I can go the distance. distance. You could listen to that all on your own. Like if you've never seen Hercules, you would yeah. think that was a song. Yeah, like, it's like so, just a normal. It's so uplifting good. and sad, but and then like at all the of, end you're happy for him and you're yeah. crying. And then Meg's songs yeah. are all great. The muses. I need Lizzo to be amused. Yes, immediately that needs to happen. Yes, and she. I mean, listen. Everyone's like Lizzo should be Ursula. I don't think Lizzo should be Ursula. She's too pure. She's black. No, I think a drag <laughs> queen should be Ursula because Ursula is kind of drawn in the style of divine. Yeah. No, she was she was yeah. dra- drawn after her. Yeah, exactly. She was, yeah. She was modeled a little bit after yeah. her. But everyone freaking out about the new Little Mermaid. First of all, it's a fish. It's a She's... fish woman. But also, have you heard Holly Bailey's voice? Holly Bailey? Yeah. The new Little Mermaid? No. Fucking amazing. Like, that girl, and I'm very critical about singing because, you know, I was taught to sing and all that stuff. She's an opera singer. Yes. Former. If only my tone was better. I just have a bad natural quality to my voice. But, um, I disagree. <laughs> but, As someone who actually has a bad quality no, to her voice, but, I disagree. But Holly Bailey, I think that's how you say her name, Hallie Bailey. That's too close to Hallie how, Bailey. It's very close, but I think <laughs> that may be it. But her voice is fucking phenomenal. She is so well trained. She's just good. She is a true artist. Yeah, also, who and I can't wait to hear her. I mean, 
that she's playing a mermaid. What do you mean she's yeah. not close enough to the- She also has legs and yeah. no fins. How dare <laughs> How she? How dare she have legs? I think we should cast a real mermaid. Yes. <laughs> I can- or nothing. And I want them to look like the ones from Harry Potter. Yeah. I want them to be mean mm-hmm. and They're, vicious. Yes. And then and all you. they need to do is lure men to their deaths. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just, because I looked up her singing because I'd never heard of her. Mm-hmm. And just, it's so good. You should look up her videos. Like, she just sounds so Yeah, I'm looking so at her great. right now, too. You know what it is, too? The Little Mermaid doesn't need to be white. She needs to be... Because the Little Mermaid cartoon, even though she's a cartoon, you're like, wow, this girl's so pretty. Mm-hmm. And she is. She's, she's gorgeous. She's pretty. But I also like that she's kind of unique looking. She is. Mm-hmm. But that's what I think about the Little Mermaid. She doesn't look like every... Like, I it's remember not... watching her and being like, that's the one I'd want to look like. Because she's yeah. got red hair. And her face is a mm-hmm. little... Th- like, there's like her big separated eyes. And I feel like yes. this girl's got and that, too. It has a hint of otherworldliness yeah to it because she's not <gasps> human oh my god sorry <laughs> seven hours ago <laughs> terry cruz wants to be king yes. Triton in the live action he, little mermaid and the internet is here for it. i really want that he needs to be he it. does he would be so god, good he's so good um so <laughs> i guess this has been disney corner yeah. but uh because that's what's in the news and they're just churning out these remakes like nobody's yeah. business although i will say if she doesn't have red hair i'm getting the fuck out of here they need to make her hair red <laughs> yeah they're, they're definitely gonna make her hair red. i'm sure they will um Even but they have to cgi that shit well yeah they have to cgi her body because <laughs> she, she needs gonna, a tail no, they're gonna sew they're her gonna in dunk her underwater yeah. <laughs> for the entire shoot <laughs> just tie yeah. her legs together so Today, we're not talking about anything remotely Disney-related. No. We're talking about... Well, uh, you don't know my story. Mm, no, true. It, it has no Disney in it. <laughs> I don't think, but wouldn't it be great if, as I was reading, I was like, actually, yeah, that would this be great. happened two miles from Disney from World. Disney. This, I was about to say, I don't know if my cold case was a, uh, what, what are they, musketeers? Uh-huh. Mouseketeers. <laughs> well, well, are you thinking of the Dapper Dans? Or no, the... Mouseketeers. I was like, maybe mine was a Mouseketeer, but he's a mouse... little bit before that. Why Mouseketeers specifically? Because that's a Disney. Yeah, but <laughs> he's not a mouse. No, but no, neither are the Mouseketeers. They're I'm children. thinking of the movie from the Mouseketeers. No, no, the kids, like Justin Timberlake and Britney uh, Spears uh, were Mouseketeers. From, from, okay. Yeah. Now I see And I was saying. like, no, he was a little before I that you started. Meant, like the movie because that's from a movie oh is it and they're mouse mouse oh yeah the three mouseketeers yeah Yeah, i remember so i was like but he's not a mouse no he's not a mouse but he was an actor Um, but we're talking about (gasps) yours first wait i think i know who you did yeah well i told you wait (laughs) do i or did i do that guy already you did not i do know that did i do the power ranger murders on here no you didn't are you doing the power? No. Okay. So I don't know who you're talking no. about. No. I really thought I did the power. That, that was going to be it. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. I wanted to be right. Okay. I'm first. Let me pull up my story. I should have done this earlier. So my cold case is from a while ago. Okay. So let's get started. Super cold. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, freezing. Cold ah! is the inside of a hot pocket. <laughs> yeah. On the night of January 2nd, 1935, a large, well-dressed man wearing a black overcoat came Sorry, I I cut and paste the sentence, but it was too like floofy for me, so I went to change it. Floofy. But now it just says came in his bag. No. <laughs> no. Like like I had copied and pasted it for the facts, yeah. but it was off of an article that was like came inside wearing his 
well pressed trouser oh, like no. so i was like nope delete that sentence we you don't came need inside to, yeah. wearing yeah. his pants but you deleted but wearing. I, yeah 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 so Jeez. i was like just came inside his pants. okay <gasps> so he comes in outside um from outside and it's cold outside it's the hotel president in kansas city missouri do you know it no nah. i'm gonna keep guessing uh, you Who know is this he case. And, and where is he you know this case just okay keep, okay so Immediately, the staff recognized how odd this man was. At, a, at the hotel? Yep. Okay. He was not only large, but he had a very large scar across his face and a cauliflower ear. Oh. A cauliflower okay. oh, ear is most gross. common in boxers and wrestling mm-hmm. and happens when the blood collects in the outer ear after an injury and it isn't drained properly Mm. or becomes infected yeah it's fucking gross yeah it is the man also had no luggage with him but nevertheless booked a room for one night you don't know that that could have been hiding it somewhere else well they said he was large yeah they said he was large (laughs) he also specifically requested an interior room not facing the street outside he paid for his room fee up front with cash and signed in as Ronald, nope, Roland McDonald. T. <laughs> this is the story of Ronald McDonald. <laughs> no, as Roland T. Owen. And he put down a address in Los Angeles. So Randolph Propst, the bo- bellboy who was working that night, uh, led Owen to room 1046, where he produced the only personal items that he had, which were a comb a toothbrush, toothpaste, and a brush that were in his pockets. Mm. So he put them on the counter of the bath boy and then took, or the bath boy. <laughs> There's also a bath boy. Sorry, yeah, this is a he sexy just, he story. He sits in there and he is the bath. Yeah. <laughs> the bathroom <laughs> counter. He puts them on the bathroom counter and then he gets the key from the bellboy and then he leaves. He's like, thanks for the key. I gotta go. So then he leaves. And everyone's just like, okay, bye. Poor bath boy. Yeah, he's like, but... Sir, I'll give you a bath. <laughs> Fill me with water. Glug, glug, glug. So later on the same day, hotel maid Mary Soptic entered room 1046 to clean it. She found a noticeably distraught and anxious looking Owen sitting there in the dim room with shades drawn and only the glow from a single light. When he saw the maid, he composed himself really quickly stood up and went to leave the room, telling Mary on the way out that she was to leave the door open as he was expecting a friend to come over. And she's like, okay, this is a hotel. That's not really what this is for, but fine. <laughs> well, that's code. Yeah. Friend. friend. Yeah. Um, also, he requested the room with one light. Yeah. <laughs> Let's make that clear. <laughs> yeah, he was like, please take all the other lamps He's like, I want no windows in one light. <laughs> I am a vampire. <laughs> I'm a vampire! all my Nicolas Cage fans out there. Okay. Um, so. <laughs> so he mentioned it several times. And Mary probably was like, I get it, dude. Leave the door open. It's yeah. not hard. And it's like when you're like, I'm asking for a friend. And it's like, yeah. you're asking for yourself. And it's like, we know no one's coming. Yeah. <laughs> so Mary returned to the room around 4 p.m. to leave clean towels and was startled to find Owen lying on his bed, fully clothed, staring at the ceiling. Mary looked up expecting to see something, but there was nothing there. But also, she is coming in the room. A lot in well, one day okay. for a maid. I'm glad you said this. And I he's lo- in the room? I looked it up. Okay. Because 
there's a lot of this where she like comes in twice a day. So back then in the mornings, they would take everything away and clean Uh everything up. And in the evenings, they'd bring you fresh towels because they didn't have tons and tons of supplies. So they'd wash it, dry it, and then bring it back in the afternoon with like some shampoo or your mints or whatever. So no showers in the day. No. (laughs) No. You don't have your towels. No. So... Because I, I was and, like, this is so weird. Why is, like... Yeah, and why is she coming in when he's in there? Well, because there's not a do not... There's not uh, a do not. So the maid can just waltz in Well, even time. today, if you don't have a do not whatever, the maid's going to come in and clean, even yeah, if you're there. Yeah, they usually knock, though. And he could be like, no, we're in here. Yeah, well, I think she did knock that. And I think he that's was like, why come she... in. I want you no, to I see think, me on the I bed. I think that's why she was startled to find him, because she probably knocked. And didn't no one hear answered. It. Yeah, so walked in like, and was oh, like, okay. oh, he's okay, awake and staring it. at the ceiling. Yeah. So he's fully closed, staring at the ceiling. Nothing's there. Um, the maid also was able to notice a note on the desk that read Don I will be back in 15 minutes wait realizing that she was intruding she quickly left the man in his deep thoughts deciding to return in the morning she figured the man was simply waiting for his friend Mm -hmm. so on the morning of January 3rd Mary starts her rounds and gets to cleaning because that's all Mary's life is yeah poor bucket Mary (laughs) so she finally arrives at room 1046 and she's surprised because she finds the door oddly locked from the outside when she uses her pass key, she found Owen sitting there in the dark again, the shade still tightly shut and just one lamp on. He loves lamp. He does. <laughs> <laughs> Owen was talking on the phone this time, and he seemed uncomfortable and shifty, but he waved her in, which, how awkward for her. She's probably like, I just want to leave. Yeah. Get me leave. And he's just like, come on come in. Come on in. <laughs> you know, it's um, just me and my favorite lamp. Yeah. yeah, she's like, I love listening to strange men on the phone, <laughs> yeah. acting nervous. Uh. So at one point he said, no, Don, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. No, I'm not hungry. So Mary quietly cleaned, probably like, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. And um, she took some dirty towels. So she took all of his towels because they mm-hmm. were all used and she leaves. So Mary Skoptic would have yet another unsettling encounter at room 1046. When she went back for her late afternoon rounds and heard two male voices talking within it, not wanting to bother them, she gently knocked and asked through the door if they wanted their fresh towels. The knock was answered by a gruff, angry voice saying they didn't need any towels and that she should go away. Mary found this a little odd because she knew that there were no towels in the room yeah. because she had taken them all. But she figured they were just busy or upset and fighting and mm-hmm. like she would just, didn't want, yeah, yeah. just, they just would go without towels. So anyway, so she leaves. In the early morning hours of January 4th, around 1 a.m., there was a disturbance from room 1046. Neighboring guests would later describe the sound like a man and a woman arguing, perhaps more than two people, as well as what could have been the sounds of a scuffle. At around 7 a.m. in the morning, an operator noticed that the phone had been left off the hook. So she sent the bellboy up to find what was going on, Mm because this is back in the days where you still had operators. So it was like... A little red button that was glowing in the dark, and the operator was like, "Okay, that's just been off the hook for yeah, hours. So just can go you and just see what's going yeah, on?" Yeah, they probably yeah. put down the phone and didn't put it down, right? Mm-hmm. Can you? The bellboy was about to have quite an odd experience as a male voice from within. I don't know why I typed <laughs> this so weird. Yeah, <laughs> I put an extra him. <laughs> told him to come in, but turn off the lights. What? What? So there's a voice inside the room, and he says, "Come inside, but turn off the lights." 
Can't the guy in the room turn off the lights? <laughs> well, that's why he's like, okay. But the door was locked, so he uh-huh. couldn't come in. So the bellboy, the same one that who guided Owen to his room the first day, told the occupant that the door was locked and knocked for several minutes. But he was only met with silence. He left in frustration after shouting through the door to put the phone back on the <laughs> hook. The guest in room 1046 obviously hadn't listened because it turned out the phone was still off the hook <laughs> as 8.30 rolled around. So now it's an hour and a half the phone's still mm-hmm. off the hook. So another bellboy named Harold Pike was sent to order them to hang it up. After knocking for several minutes with no response, Pike lit himself into the room with his pass key and found Owen lying in his bed fully naked in the shadows, mm. as well as the phone lying on the floor. Assuming that Owen was just really hungover, Pike put the phone back on its proper place and let himself out. Oddly, just an hour later, the operator noticed that the phone from room 1046 was off the hook again. again. And Randolph Propst was sent up there once more to check things out. The room now had a do not disturb sign hanging outside. But knocking gathered no response. So he opened the door and entered to find Owen hunched over on the floor, holding his head head in his hands and framed by splotches of blood on the walls and floor, as well as on the bed. This was enough to send props panicking, and he went and called the authorities. Mm -hmm. When the police arrived, they were able to see that Owen was in really bad shape and quite seriously injured. He had been stabbed multiple (gasps) times in the chest with a knife. His head sustained fractures from some powerful blow. It was also found that he had several bruises on his neck, his wrists, ankles, and necks had ties around them, and it seemed as though he had been strangled and tortured. Oh my gosh. Owen was out of it, but he managed to get a few words out to the police, and he simply told them that he fell in the bathtub. He specifically said more than once, no one attacked him. It was the bath boy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then he fell into a coma where he died a few days later. When authorities searched room 1046, things got weirder. For one thing, there were no clothes anywhere to be found. But Owen was naked when the cops came. So where were his clothes? There was also no sign of the towels or toiletries that the hotel usually provided. But again, he refused. He refused the towels. So a large amount of blood was found on the walls and the bed sheets, as well as the bathroom. And there were four fingerprints found on a lampshade, which were thought to be those of a woman because of the shape and size. But either way, they were too small to be Owens. Yeah. Because he was a big man. Large. There were also two water glasses, one of them with a jagged piece taken out of it and the other sitting pristine and intact, Mm. as well as an unlit cigarette and a tiny unopened bottle of dilute sulfuric acid. The room other than that was completely bare. And the hotel staff told them that the curtains had not once been opened the entire time Owen was there. There were no other clues at all, and the police were already having trouble figuring out what happened. And then they tried notifying Owen's family. Mm. It was soon discovered that Roland T. Owen was not the the man's real name, and that he had apparently been booked at several other hotels, the Muleback, the Kansas City Hotel, and the St. Regis Hotel, in the days before the incidents, booking all under different aliases, all of which were bogus. And on one occasion, he was seen together with another unidentified man. And then some rather unusual tips came in. A worker, um, a city worker named Robert Lane claimed that he had been approached by a man mistaking him for a taxi one night. He says 
Owen said he had just checked in that night. So he got in his car and was like, I just checked in. I need to check. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was dressed only, but he was dressed only in his underwear and T-shirt despite the cold weather. When he was told it wasn't a taxi, he asked where he could get one. Lane had noticed that the man had been or had a bloody wound on his arm. And when he asked the man about it, the man, presumably Owen, got out of the cab and wandered off into the night with no further words. Huh. Other tips came in from various bartenders saying that they had seen a man matching Owen's description, frequently attending events at different bars and in the company of several different women. And an elevator operator at the president, the hotel, claimed that he had seen what he thought were sex workers wandering around on the night looking for room 1026. Although considering the room number is wrong, it's hard to say if it was a mistake on their part, like, Mm -hmm. or if those women weren't actually looking for him. Yeah. You know? Uh Uh-huh. In the meantime, police sent out sketches of the dead man all over the place, but no one seemed to knew, know who he was. Mm-hmm. When his body was put on display, fun, yep. several people finally claimed to know who he was, including a local wrestler promoter who said he had been approached by the man asking to participate in matches, and he said his real name was Cecil Warner. But none of these claims led anywhere, hmm. and Owen's real identity remained elusive. During the funeral preparations, another potentially came in from an anonymous caller who claimed that the dead man was his brother-in-law. They said that the police were on the wrong track and that he was not to bury them in Potter's Field. So originally, Owen was supposed to be buried in Potter's Field, the Mm -hmm. cemetery. But they said he was not supposed to be buried there. And the mysterious caller even had all the funeral expenses paid for, sending a wad of cash over to a newspaper And Owen was eventually buried at Memorial Park Cemetery where the anonymous caller asked them to bury him. Oh, okay. An anonymous order was also placed with a local florist for 13 American Beauty Roses to be laid on his grave with a card that read, Love Forever, Louise. Hmm. By some accounts, the man also explained that Owen had jilted a woman the man knew and that the three of them had met in the hotel about it. Cheaters usually get what's coming to them, the man said, and then hung up. Mm. So flash forward to the spring of 35. Ruby Ogletree, oh God. <laughs> real name, received a typewritten letter in the mail from her son, Artemis. Ruby knew something was wrong when the typewritten letter had arrived. The teenager didn't know how to use a typewriter as far as she knew, and all of his previous letters mailed home to Alabama were written and very conversational and, like, you know, handwritten mm-hmm. longhand. The tone in the newsletter wasn't quite right either. Whoever wrote it used slang that didn't really sound like her son. But more letters started arriving, all of them typewritten. One said Artemis was in Chicago attending business school. One said he was sailing from New York to Europe. Mm. And then in August of that year, a man who said his name was Jordan called Ruby, said he was a friend of her son and claimed that Artemis had saved his life and was now married to a wealthy woman in Cairo, Egypt. Mm. Artemis couldn't type anymore because he had lost his thumb in a brawl. (laughs) You could still type. Um, Ruby finally sought help from the cops after this strange phone call. The FBI and the American consul in Egypt went looking for him, but no one could find Artemis. So they actually investigated this because yeah. they were like, you're right. That is fucking weird. Yeah. In the fall of 1936, nearly two years after the murder, a friend of Ruby showed up distraught 
with her copy of the May 1935 issue of the American Weekly. Inside, under the splashy headlight, headline, the mystery of room number 1046 lay Artemis in repose. His body was shown in profile and there was no mistaking the scar on his head. He'd been burned as a child, she would later explain, and the mark of his injury had followed him into young adulthood. Mm. But if the article was correct and the boy in the photo was her son, he would have been dead long before she started receiving those typewritten letters and the phone calls from quote-unquote Jordan. Oh, no. Letters and photo calls that Ruby subsequently sent to the Kansas City Police Department confirmed Owen's identity as Artemis Ogletree. And in early November 1936, newspapers around the world printed Owen's real name. That was the last break in the case. Until 2013, Kansas City public librarian John Horner was contacted by an anonymous caller who claimed that he had been going through the belongings of a recently deceased person. He had found a box containing some odd things. Within the box was apparently a pile of numerous newspaper articles on the Owen Ogletree case, all meticulously arranged, as well as something mentioned in the newspaper stories but no clue as to what something could be. It was a tantalizing clue, but once again led to nothing, and there are no recent reports to who could have killed Owen and if it really is Ogletree. Oh, so they never, think, like, DNA tested or nope. anything? It's 1935. They ain't bringing that body back up. Mm, true. And and it's just basically the mother saying That's, she thinks it is. Yeah. I think it also is, but a lot of people have some crazy theories about how Maybe he's a spy. Maybe some people thought like maybe he was just in with like a pimp and like some sex workers yeah. and things got weird. Maybe he really did sleep with someone's wife. Yeah, that seems. And get killed. Yeah. But why check in to like that seems like a paranoid thing to do, right? Mm-hmm. If you're just hanging out in whatever in Kansas, you check into a hotel and then you sleep with someone's wife mm-hmm. and you end up dead. That's one thing. But to check into multiple hotels under multiple names, like maybe he was running from the guy whose wife maybe. he slept with or maybe something. he slept yeah. with him in a different place and was just like, this guy's yeah. going to come after me. And a lot of people. So this is the mysterious 1046 case. But a lot of people refer to it as the Love Always Lucy case, which or oh, Louise case, which yes. I like more. It sounds better because and more romantic roses. because the roses were mm-hmm. the only thing at his because Grinch. his mother wasn't there for his burial, so mm-hmm. there was no one which really is there. Really yeah, sad. and the way she found out was looking at the a picture of her dead son, mm-hmm. like that was yeah. him dead. Well, and I wonder who paid for the burial. Well, a lot of people think if it's the he slept with someone's wife, mm-hmm. it was like, I feel bad for killing him. Mm-hmm. I'll pay for his funeral. And then the wife sent the roses and it was like, that was that. Yeah. Or someone who was who knew about him was like, yeah. fuck. But the man was the same one who was like, cheaters get what they deserve. Mm-hmm. So it sounded like that man was kind of mad, too. Oh, so yeah. Mm-hmm. To me, it seems like maybe he was like, eh, he got what he deserved, but I will, you know, yeah, no one knows who he is, him. so I'll yeah. pay for his funeral. Like, he's got to get buried somewhere. That's nuts. Because yeah. funerals ain't cheap. No. No. That's I mean, a 35, lot. who knows? <laughs> one dollar. I'll yeah. bury your dad. <laughs> <laughs> one dollar special. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's a crazy case that I heard. It's on. There's a really, really, like, amazing um, unsolved mysteries about it. Oh, yeah. And the unsolved mysteries, if I'm thinking of this the right way, 
it's one of those where it was before the 2003 thing happened mm-hmm. or whatever. And then they have like a, we've got a new tip or whatever. Oh, yeah, on it. And yeah. But they talk about all this stuff. They think like there's no relation. It's just a guy found went through dead relatives. So it's not like mm-hmm. his dad or we don't know who that is. But they think whoever that is was the killer. But they obviously couldn't have proven it because there's no name printed anywhere. There's no, like, anything about it. So Mm -hmm. clearly they just couldn't prove anything. Huh. So that's one of those murders that probably, even though it's crazy and a lot of people know about it and it's, like, kind of famous, it probably will just never be solved. Because at this point. Because everyone involved is dead. Like, whoever killed him is also dead. Unless they had preserved some evidence. Right. And, you know, put in the familial DNA database yeah. and all that i mean that would probably be the only way besides a deathbed confession yeah but i think that i mean from 35 yeah they'd either already be dead or they and be... it would have to be someone they told about yeah. it or you know or they're just real they have longevity yeah or they're killer. my fucking grandpa who's 90 <laughs> yes exactly How what old... year was your grandfather born i think like the late 30s oh really yeah let me see it's what 2019 yes <laughs> That is the year. 1929. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, they lived oh. through the Great Depression. That's how old oh, my grandparents no. are. <laughs> yeah. My grandma lived through what, the Great Depression. Wait, what month was he born? Because he, he was probably alive when the stock market crashed. He was born in February. Oh, yeah. No, so, he's, so, he, so he was he alive was, for the stock market yeah. crash because that was in October. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Ugh. Yeah. And my grandma was also born in 1920 in March. Yeah. Yeah, they lived. Yeah. And that's why yeah. they, That's why when I'm always at their house and I'm like, I'm so hungry, they're like, there's American cheese and bread. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's, uh, a, that's a staple gift to them. Yeah. That's like, <gasps> what? We because didn't they, have to eat yeah. rats. Yeah. Or I told you that story about my grandpa's brother dying. It was like, okay, well, he died. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he just <laughs> died. It, it happens. Might have been murdered. Who knows? Yeah. But he's dead now. Uh-huh. Well, we back don't then, have they time. had things to worry yeah, about. Yeah. We, we're worried about surviving. So, mm-hmm. one last kid. It's sad, but let's... <laughs> but let's move let's, on, guys. Ooh. Oh, yikes. But he was definitely murdered. Oh, yeah. No. We should definitely try to look into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, before your grandparents die, yeah. I think well, we need to ask The them. problem is, is... My grandpa and my grandma met when they were young, but mm-hmm. they were like 16 young. So I'd have to see if my grandpa ever mentioned anything to my grandma more than what I already know. Yeah. Or if because I'm, my grandpa is not no. doing well. So I don't he, think he'd be able to tell you. He would not. And even if he was, if he ever got a moment of clarity back He's in not going to want to talk about I that. don't want him to spend it talking about his brother yeah. who died. I'd rather him think about, like, his kids or yeah, something, something happy. happy. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I wouldn't be like, oh, you know what you're doing right now? Real quick, do you think your brother was murdered, too? Because <laughs> Grandma says he might have been murdered. Did you tell her that? And then <laughs> I stick a microphone in his face. And then he's like, I'm peacing out. <laughs> I'm like, done being I'm lucid for today. <laughs> So we're going to take it a little bit forward take in it history. To the <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm going to tell you about Robert Edward Crane. Ah, Bob Crane's son? Yes. No, Bob no, Crane. <gasps> oh my God, this is Bob Crane. <laughs> yes. <gasps> okay, quick story. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. You got so excited. <laughs> okay, Chris Jenner. Yes. Do you know where this is going? Is she brought up in your story at all? No. Why? Did she fuck Chris, him? No, Chris Jenner. Well, maybe is really good friends 
With Bob Crane and Junior? his family. Yeah. No, Bob Crane and his family. Well, he's dead. Well, yes. But, but, but you know, <laughs> yes. when he wasn't dead. Uh-huh. So, like, his wife and yeah. all his kids and whatever. And his son is named. He has, he has a two few. main ones. I think it's, like. He has Robert Crane Jr. And, and then he also has Scotty. Maybe it's Robert Crane, Crane Jr. Jr. Okay. Scotty so, is a little weird. So. We're going to talk about him. So, Bob Crane, right? Yes. The junior one, mm-hmm. like calls Chris Jenner sometimes on the show. Like you see all <laughs> That's this funny. happen. But one time Scott Disick yeah. and Khloe Kardashian and Courtney Kardashian were like, "Let's play a prank on my mom." And like she hadn't heard from Bob Crane in a while. Uh huh. So they get on the phone. They keep calling him from like an unknown number, and she's like, "Hello." And then Scott Disick goes, "It's me." Bob Crane. <laughs> Hi, Chris. And then at the end of the episode, she gets so pissed because she's like, I know you're not him, whatever. At the end of the episode, they do it one more time and she freaks out. And then the door opens and Bob Crane walks through <gasps> the door and he's like, Hi, Auntie Chris. Oh, no. And that's so, so funny. And I didn't know who they were, so then I Googled it. Yeah. And that's how I that's learned. That's when you found out about of this. Bob yes. Crane Sr. So, Bob Crane Sr., he was born in Waterbury, Connecticut on July 13th, 1928. He seemed to be destined for the limelight from a really young age. When he was 11, he began playing the drums and performing in local parades with his friends, because that's what kids did back then. He played for several youth orchestras and symphonies in his teen years before joining the National Guard after he graduated from high school. In 1949, he married his high school sweetheart, Anne Terzian, and the couple eventually had three children together. In 1950, he was honorably... Bob, Scott, and the other one. Scott is from a different wife. Oh, okay. That's the thing. So Bob... Bob, I didn't put the other one's names on. Yeah. And then Scott from the other one. I think it was two boys and a girl. Not sure. Okay, so Um, let's make them up. Bob, Dennis, and... Marie. No. (laughs) Marie. (laughs) In 1950, he was honorably discharged from the Army and began his broadcasting career in New York. Nice. In a span of five years, Crane worked as a host and disc jockey for radio stations in New York and Connecticut. In 1956, he was hired by CBS Radio to host a morning show in Los Angeles. While working in Los Angeles, Crane became known as a vibrant radio personality with sly wit, musical talent, and the charisma to bring in guests of high caliber, such as Marilyn Monroe, Frank Sinatra, and Bob Hope. Crane's show garnered huge ratings, and he became known as King of the Los Angeles Airwaves. By the early 1960s, Crane had set his sights on an acting career. He parlayed his radio fame into guest hosting spots on Johnny Carson's show, Who Do You Trust?, and small roles and appearances in shows like The Twilight Zone, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and The Dick Van Dyke Show. Because of these acting roles, Crane was picked up by Donna Reed to perform on her program, The Donna Reed Show. He appeared as Dr. David Kelsey on the show in 1963 and soon became a regular. He continued to work full-time on the radio in addition to acting until December of 1964. Crane was offered the lead role in a brand new television show in 1965. The show... You know the show. I know the show. We all know the show. Um, The show was Hogan's Heroes, um, a situational comedy set in a World War II POW camp, which doesn't sound funny. (laughs) Have you ever watched clips? Yeah, some. (laughs) Some of them just like, this is 
sad. Was yeah, this you're this like, this is terrible. Back yeah. then? It's so sad. Uh, Crane played Colonel Hogan, a slick allied soldier that continuously tricked German guards in the camp and carried out sabotage and espionage missions. So slick. So slick. <laughs> the show aired on September 17th, 1965 in black and white. The first episode was yeah. black and white. From the second episode onward, the series was presented in color, and Hogan's Heroes was an immediate success and placed among the top 10 shows of the year in 1965. Crane rose to superstardom in this role and was even a musical contributor to the show, having recorded the drum introduction and the theme music himself. Yeah, that was him. That's fun. Crane was nominated twice for an Emmy for his work on Hogan's Heroes. In 1968, three years into the series' six seasons, Crane began an affair with another cast member named Patricia Olsen, (sighs) who acted under the stage name Sigrid Valdez. Crane divorced... like the regular Valdez. (laughs) Yes. It's Valdez or Valdez. I think it's pronounced Valdez, but... Right? Yes. That's Exxon Valdez. Yes. She's an oil spill. She is. Only for him, though. In Bob Crane's (laughs) life. Yes. (laughs) No, she's an oil spill in all of our <laughs> in hearts. all of her hearts. Crane divorced his wife, Anne, in 1970, right before wow. the couple's 21st wedding she's anniversary. definitely an oil spill in that. Oil yeah. Spill. What a terrible way to be described as someone. As an, an oil, oil spill, spill of a person. person. <laughs> he married Olsen on the set of Hogan's Heroes later that year. His co-star, Richard Dawson, who played Corporal Peter Newkirk in the show, served as Crane's best man. The next year, Crane and Olsen had a son named Scotty and later adopted a daughter named Anna Marie. Hogan's Heroes was canceled in 1971 and Crane found work hard to come by after the show. He appeared in two movies while filming Hogan's Heroes and after the show had wrapped, he took roles in two Disney movies. What? Super Dad in 1973 and Gus in 1976. Gus, what's Gus about? I have no idea what either of those are. It's two before my time. (laughs) Crane then began pursuing roles in live theater and toured in a St. Petersburg, Florida showboat dinner theater production of the play Beginner's Luck, for which he served as the star and the director. (laughs) Sorry. I just looked up what Gus is about. You want to hear the first line? Yes, I really do. (laughs) Okay. Whatever you think it's about, it's not about that. Yugoslavian farm boy Andy Petrovic (laughs) loves soccer, but is useless on playing the field. When he announces to his beloved mule, Gus, that he's giving up the game for good, the animal kicks Andy's soccer ball far away. Soon, Andy has trained Gus to kick the ball on command. After the story of Gus, the goal-kicking mule makes the news. The owner, Edward Asner, and coach, Don Knotts, of a hapless California football team draft Gus and Andy as their new field goal unit. So, I'm sorry. Um, this is what Disney was making in between Mickey Mouse and, like, the Lion King. And Bob Crane's character was named Pepper. Wait, but who is he? I don't know. I, I thought he was the Yugoslavian. No, Gary Grimes is. Is he the mule? No, that's Gus. No, he, he's got to be like another football player yes. or like a parrot or something. Jesus Christ. That was that great. That is like the very depressing version of Airbud. That's what it sounds <laughs> it like. Is. It is. Okay. 
Oh, and then Super Dad is basically that that Steve Martin movie where his his daughter is about to get married. Oh, okay. And What's it called? It's called something. I forget. Wait, wait. It has a yeah. Who knows? So he goes from doing that to doing um, showboat dinner theater. Okay. Okay. <laughs> step which down. Is a, a good jump. <laughs> uh, was well, it a step down? <laughs> equal steps. Equal yeah. steps. Um. So the production traveled to California, Arizona, and smaller theaters around the country in 1973. Crane also appeared in several TV shows, including The Love Boat, Gibbsville, and Police Woman, which I'm sure was sexist as shit. Oh, yeah. In 19- I'm sure it was like, oh, this is hilarious. You can't be a police no, officer. No, it was a comedy. It'd it be helps. like Kid Cop today. Yeah. Be like, You're so cute. <laughs> You're not cops. In 1975, Crane launched his own series, The Bob Crane Show, on NBC, but the program only lasted 13 episodes. No, oh, I want In 1977, he and Olsen divorced. During the years following Hogan's Heroes, Crane and Richard Dawson remained very close friends. And in the late 70s, Crane and Dawson began routinely videotaping their sexual escapades. But not with each other. No. Not, which is how well, I would want it. To not be. penetrating each other. Yeah, but I want them. I, to, I, would, yeah. I wanted them when I first heard the story. I was like, <gasps> are they going to be lovers? No, <laughs> unfortunately night? not. That would be a lot better than what they're doing. Yep. So Dawson introduced Crane to a man named John Henry Carpenter who was a regional sales manager for Sony Electronics. Carpenter... So a real winner. He was. He was on the same level as yeah. them. <laughs> um, Carpenter and Crane became friends, and Crane would often introduce Carpenter to women as his manager. Mm. To, like, you know, up his cred yeah. a little bit. <laughs> he sells Sony. Yeah, well, <laughs> but it, it sounds like he's, like, the sales manager of a store, but he goes to places and is like, you want to install Sony televisions all yeah. over your building because this, this, whatever. Right, right, right. So Crane and Carpenter began working together to videotape their sexual encounters with dozens of women, many of whom they picked up in bars. Years later, Crane's son, Robert Crane Jr., claimed that the women involved were all aware that they were being filmed, but police assert that many women were not aware that they were being recorded until the police informed them of the existence wow. of these videos. Scum. Yeah. On June 29th, 1978, Crane failed to show up for a meeting with his co-star in Beginner's Luck, Victoria Ann Berry. Berry went to Crane's apartment at the Winfield Place Apartments in Scottsdale, Arizona, to check on him. There, she discovered Crane's body. He had been bludgeoned to death with an unidentified weapon and an electrical cord had been tied around his neck. Police determined that Crane had been killed sometime the previous day on June 28th. He was likely asleep when the attack occurred and was found still lying in bed with his face half submerged in a pool of his own blood. There's a picture online. Yeah. Police found a bottle of scotch in the apartment, which was strange because... Are you looking up the picture? <laughs> which was strange because Crane didn't drink scotch, a lot of his friends said. Mm. That was, like, not, not, not one of his, his drinks. Yeah, There was no obvious sign of forced entry or a struggle, and nothing of value was missing, leading investigators to believe that Crane probably knew his killer. The Scottsdale Police Department was out of their depth from day one of the investigation. The department was small and didn't even have a homicide unit at the time. <gasps> yeah, you found it. Is this it? Yeah, that's him. Isn't that that picture is is rough? Yeah. Crane's personal life in 1978 was messy. 
to say the least. He was in the middle of divorcing his second wife, Patricia Olson. He had made countless enemies through his escapades with also, Carpenter. those were his bed sheets? Yeah. Yeah. He's a man. What do you, you want him to pick good bed sheets? <laughs> what do you expect He's of him? Famous. He was famous at one point. Um, now he's dinner theater. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. Um, Kmart. Kmart bed sheets. Yeah, exactly. He was like, just throw sheets on yeah. there. So he had made countless enemies through his escapades with Carpenter, both in the form of his unaware victims and their partners. However, because the vast majority of women who had been videotaped by Carpenter and Crane had no idea that they were being recorded, it was unlikely that one of them would have committed the crime. Given the clues at the crime scene, suspicion fell mainly on John Henry Carpenter. Police were led to Carpenter after they reviewed the videotapes recovered from Crane's apartment. Carpenter had flown to Phoenix on June 25th to visit Crane. Carpenter's rental car was impounded by police, who recovered several blood smears that matched Crane's blood type. Uh Uh-oh. Carpenter did not match the smears, nor did anyone else who could have been in the car. However, this was the only evidence recovered that pointed to Carpenter, and so the Maricopa County attorney declined to file charges against him. Twelve years passed with no progress in the case. But in 1990, Detective Jim Raines re-examined the evidence and convinced the county attorney to officially reopen the case. DNA testing had developed in the decades since Crane's murder, and the blood found in Carpenter's car was tested. Unfortunately, the results were inconclusive. Raines then went back over photographs of the vehicle and discovered that in one, there was a piece of brain tissue. (gasps) Could you imagine a photo (sighs) from... From the 70s, and you see and you're like, that's brain tissue. The tissue sample had been recovered during the initial investigation, but had since been lost. Oh, good. Perfect. An Arizona judge ruled that this new evidence was admissible, and Carpenter was arrested and charged with Crane's murder. Weird. Just from the picture? Just from the picture, which... It could probably be anything. Yeah, I mean, honestly. I mean, they're not like high def. No. Here. It's not like you could zoom in on yeah. it and see, oh, that's brain. You know? <laughs> that's definitely It's holding brain. up a side. I'm brain. I'm brain. <laughs> no, it's just fucking hamburger meter. So yeah. it's just like a little speck. The trial took place in 1994. And Crane's son, Robert Jr., testified that before his death, Crane had repeatedly mentioned to his son that he planned to cut ties with Carpenter because he was, quote, a hanger on and, quote, a nuisance to the point of being obnoxious. Isn't it funny that hearsay... <laughs> yeah, it is admissible. Is admissible, but mm-hmm. your dying utterance is... Isn't? No, or your is. dying yeah. utterance is. You, I mean, you could say anything on your deathbed, like, just to fuck with people. Yeah, you and know? that would be... I mean... Not that you have to take it to heart, but, like, that's allowed in court. Yeah. Like, they'd be like, I'd be able to be like, yeah, well, Austin told me as she was dying that Mike killed her. Yeah, it's like in South Park when Cartman claims that Kenny was his best friend, Uh so he could decide to take him off life support. (laughs) Because they have the necklaces. (laughs) Robert Jr. had been told by his father that Crane had called Carpenter that night before the murder and had ended their friendship, which is like a really formal thing to do. The defense presented testimony from witnesses that the men had been seen dining together the night before the murder. And these witnesses claimed that they seemed to be on great terms and were in a jovial mood. 
Hmm. Uh, the prosecution asserted that the murder weapon could have been a camera tripod, oh. which Carpenter would have had with him. But this was speculation. Like, they couldn't mm, prove yeah. that it was. The defense presented the theories that an angry husband or boyfriend of one of Crane's victims could have perpetrated the crime. Could have. There was also a dispute between Crane and another actor who had sworn to get revenge on him after an explosive argument mm. in Texas like months Batman. before. <laughs> this, this is, is like, like a crazy life right now. It really is, but also it's like two dinner theater actors yeah. <laughs> being dramatic. I love it. Because of the uncertainties in the prosecution's case, Carpenter was acquitted of murder and maintained his innocence until his death four years later in 1998. Robert Crane Jr. publicly accused his stepmother, Patricia Olson, of orchestrating the crime. Olson was the only person who benefited financially from Crane's murder. They were not yet divorced when Crane was killed, and because of this, Crane's entire estate, including all royalties from the syndication of Hogan's Heroes, went to her. So when it plays on TV now, Mm -hmm. that's her getting money. She ain't dead yet? Oh, no, she's alive. Wow. Yeah. And her son, Scotty, he's a piece of work. We'll talk about him. Crane had excluded his children with his first wife from his will. Oh, my God. Yeah, and left everything to Olsen. In 2015, Robert Jr. published a book titled Crane, Sex, Celebrity, and My Father's Unsolved Murder. Maricopa County District Attorney Rick Romley stated that he had never considered Olsen to be a suspect and that he's convinced that John Henry Carpenter was the killer, which... I mean, she could have hired him. Yeah. You they know? could have had like some kind of deal. Yeah. In November of 2016, television reporter John Hook requested that he be able to submit the blood samples taken from the rental car for additional testing. Maricopa County allowed him to do this. And although two DNA sequences were identified, one belonged to an unknown male and the other was too degraded to be matched. Hmm. The case has remained cold. In 2002, a film called Autofocus was released. Autofocus was based on a biography of Bob Crane's life written by Robert Graysmith. The film was, according to Crane's family, not grounded in reality. The movie shows Crane as a happily married and religious family man who is tempted into the seedy Hollywood lifestyle and descends into a life of sex addiction when he meets Carpenter. Crane's children publicly challenged the accuracy of the film, stating that Crane had never been a churchgoer and had been a sex addict long before his career took off, which is great for your kids to know. Yeah, but it's like, I mean, he did leave his wife for another woman. Like, it's not like he's this yeah. great. His, I think his son said there, there was only three times he had ever been in a church. His wedding, his father's funeral, and his kid's baptism. Those were the only three times he had ever gone to church. Strangely, Olsen and her son had tried to sell a film about Crane's scandalous life shortly before Autofocus was made. <laughs> this is where Scotty Crane gets sketchy. Okay. In 2001, Scotty Crane, Crane's son with Olsen, launched a website called BobCrane.com, which included a paid section that featured photographs and outtakes from the sex tapes filmed by his father. Also included in the website was the autopsy report of Crane, which confirmed that Crane did not have a penile implant at the time of his death, as it is asserted in autofocus. Oh my god. Yeah. The sordid details of Crane's sex life cemented his death as one of the most intriguing cold cases in Hollywood history. That's fucking 
crazy. And now his son is friends with a Chris Jenner. It comes full circle. Yeah. I actually think now that I'm thinking about it, I mm-hmm. think Bob Crane Jr. is friends with Chris Jenner, but it was Bob Crane Jr.'s son, son Bob oh, Crane. Yeah. Who, if the, the he third, was like Aunt Chris, who, yeah. Aunt Chris, yeah. Then, yeah. But still, they are friends. Yeah. The Kardashians and Jenners are friends are fr- with the Cranes. Yeah, that's. They will be forever and ever and ever. Yeah, and I just the decision Scotty Crane has made. Yeah, <laughs> perplex me. You know what it kind of reminds me of? What have you ever heard about the murder, the porn industry ones with the brothers? I think one of them killed the other one. I don't think so. I don't know, but in the end, a movie was made and it had, it starred Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. Of course it did. <laughs> and like that's, it's and it was all very salacious and it was about like sex and drugs. And yeah. Like the dark side. Mm-hmm. And that kind of That's what it's kind of like. Yeah. I also just love that he's like, here, look at this autopsy. My dad didn't have a penis. See, implant. look at his penis. Yeah, it's like, it's really? That's what you're trying me. Yeah, like <laughs> your mom, people are accusing your mother of murder, of but this father. is what you want to put on the internet. Yes. And also, how did he get those tapes? Isn't that police evidence? Maybe they gave I mean, it back. Yeah. And then he just puts it up on the website, but you can only see it if you pay for it. So it's fine. Yeah, so it's just porn, but like yeah, but it's unwilling. See, porn. if the women were like, "Yes, I'll record a porn with you, Bob Crane," and then that's they were fine. put up on the internet, it's like, "Well, eh, that's fine." They wanted to record a porn, now yeah. it's on the internet. That's what porn does. But mm-hmm. like, you can't no. just put if they didn't know they were being yeah, filmed. That's like, not okay. No, that's really horrible. And Scotty is just perfectly fine with it. Yeah, he doesn't give a fuck. I love that the different directions, though. It's like Robert Crane Jr. writes this book about his father's yeah. life and the murder and what happened and testifies at court. And then Scotty's like, I'm going to put all the smut on the Internet. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> so together you have everything. Yes. You yeah. you have both sides of his personality. Yeah. <laughs> the father. Uh, I love that he was like, I got to get this autopsy report. Got to go to the county coroner's office. Got to see if dad had a fake penis. Got to. Yeah. Got to see. Got to find out once for all. <laughs> Because he needed to know if he needed to get one. Yes, that was the whole thing. Like, oh, like, should I oh. have a penile implant? <laughs> then oh, you no, just... Dad didn't even have one. No. Okay, I'm good. You know, then you question everything about your life. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, a slow spiral. Like how from much there. of us are our parents? You know, like <laughs> don't do their plastic necessity add-ons. Yeah, uh, filter down to complex. us. Yeah. You know, it's like if my mom has a breast implant, do I need them? Yeah. You know, it just really she, messes Will with she your love head. me less that I don't have one? Or will she love me more that I don't have yes. one? Yes. Would she recommend it? Is her doctor <laughs> still alive? Will he give us a family discount? Those are the <laughs> questions. For one type of deal. Exactly. Um, for referring. <laughs> uh, so those are our cold cases. Yes. We are Helen High Horror on everything except Twitter. On Twitter, we're Helen High Horror. If nope. you on Twitter, we're, we're hell, hell high, high horror. horror. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I got too comfortable. Uh, we have our PayPal donation account still up. It is paypal.me slash hell and high horror. I am Austin Castelli on everything. <laughs> are you on anything <laughs> psychologically um, or social media i'll take either i'm reparata and on anything and also i'm high on lsd <laughs> no. love love sex and drugs <laughs> i was gonna go with dunkaroos oh, well, love see. sex and dunkaroos. dunkaroos that's all you need in life yeah. really if only they made them still <gasps>
What? Yeah, I don't think they make those I anymore. I think they do. I haven't been I'm sure you can find them on Amazon. You think? You can find everything on Amazon. Dunk a ruse for sale is the first thing I find. <laughs> oh, someone's someone is selling an ultra rare hot Cheeto Ew. for $900? Mr. Crab's Claw. who you can get a sweatshirt yeah you can get a sweatshirt where to get dunk roost today and continue living your best 90s life 90s life from bustle yes from bustle see where can i find amazon oh amazon okay found them well currently unavailable but you can get emailed about it okay i'd love to get emailed about it (laughs) so that's it for today um we're gonna get some dunkaroos we're gonna go get some dunkaroos guys (laughs) we're gonna Order them off Amazon and wait by the door. (laughs) We're going to have them email us when they're available. Yep. Uh, So thank you for listening. Mm -hmm. Happy hauntings, everyone. Happy hauntings. Bye. Bye.